All right, Bible scholars, let's do some learning. Thank you so much for being here, either in pew or online. How many times does your Bible mention snow? How many times does your Bible mention snow? If you're thinking about 26 times, you are correct. And many of these times are quite familiar to us. And each of these passages teaches us pretty important lessons. Let me give you a sample of some of the mentionings of snow. And if you're watching our online broadcast from somewhere not in North Alabama, you may be wondering, why are we thinking about snow tonight? Because it's snowing in our area, going to be snowing in our area if the weather folks are right, and we know they're always right, so that's why snow is on our minds. So an example or two or three of passages that mention snow in our Bible. Don't you love this one? This is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Isaiah 1.18, y'all remember these words. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, which is a red color, they shall be as white as snow. You remember that? Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool, white wool. So the message from that passage is God can clean us of our sinfulness. Another passage mentioning snow. Psalm 51 verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, David said, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow, that's extra white. Again, what is the teaching from that passage? God can make us clean. Isaiah 55 verse 10, another passage familiar to you dealing with snow. For as the rain and the snow came down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. We learn from that that precipitation, whether it's rain, whether it is snow, is essential to, to basically all forms of life on planet Earth. Proverbs 31, verse 21. You remember this virtuous woman? It says here that she is not afraid of what? Of snow for her household. Why? For all her household are clothed in scarlet. What's the message there? This woman of all these great qualities and characteristics, this is one of the chiefest. She cares about her family. She's taking care of them. And then another reference to snow in our Bible. Job 38 verse 22. Have you encountered the storehouses Another word for that would be treasures. Have you encountered the treasures of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses or treasures of the hail? What's that passage directing us to think about? There are actual nutrients in the precipitation that comes down, particularly snow that helps our land, helps our crop, helps our grasses, helps our trees to be healthier. We get nutrients, nutrition from the snow, for example, that we get from no other place. And maybe you've noticed that after a snowfall, 
After it's melted, things tend to green up more quickly because they've been blessed by, as Job puts it, the treasures in the snow. So when I think about snow in our Bible, and I think about snow and us, it also occurs to me that in a sense, and this is not much of a stretch, is it, that we are like snow? We're unique, aren't we? God only made one of you, one of me. That can be a good thing, I think, in some cases. These uh, snowflakes, no two are alike. How's that possible? You got, what, trillions and trillions of snowflakes coming down, and every one of them has its own special appearance, its own special character, its own uniqueness. And that is your story. God never before made anybody exactly like you, and he never will again make somebody exactly like you. There are things you have that nobody else has. There are things you can do that nobody else can do. There are gifts, there are tools, there are resources. You have intellect, you have creativity that only you possess. We are uniquely made by God, like all those individual snowflakes. Also, you thought of this. What happens when snow first falls? It's beautiful. I just, I, you know, I'm so disappointed. The last two times I've gone to Ukraine for our winter retreat, no snow. I mean, what are the odds of that? The week before I went to Ukraine, massive snow. The week I've just left, massive snow again, almost blizzard conditions. I like to go that time of year for our winter retreat, but I like to have winter during our winter retreat. Love to see the beauty of snow. Ukraine can be kind of a gray, not so attractive land this time of year. But snow, when it comes down, just makes it so, to me, breathtakingly beautiful. But what happens when temps warm up? The snow begins to melt. You know what happens to that beautiful snow? It gets rather ugly. You know, the dirt mixes in with it, and it's not so pretty anymore. Just kind of like snow, we can be pretty, pretty beautiful spiritually, but then we can get kind of ugly, like snow can get ugly but the difference is what? Once snow gets ugly, you can't make it pretty again. We get ugly spiritually. We can be made clean again. We can be made beautiful again. Something else when I think about us and snow. Snow is powerful when it sticks together. Right? I really hope the snow we get. I'm so excited about this. I don't want ice, I want snow. But I hope the snow we get is the kind that sticks together and you can make snowballs and you can make snowmen and all these snowflakes coming together can be a powerful thing. Powerful thing for bad, you know, an avalanche can come down and hurt folks. But like the snow, our power is in our togetherness. You know, when we all stick together, we can do so much more. You know, when, when I... 
blend in my gifts and abilities with your gifts and abilities and our love comes together and our desire to be a blessing to others and and the money that we give on Sundays you know maybe my gift in and of itself is not able to do much good but when combined with everybody else's generosity we can do together so much good isn't that why Christ prayed for unity John 17, 20 to 23, five times he prayed. We one, 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 one. And how together did he want us to be in that prayer? As close as he is to his Father. So I'd say we've still got some work to do, some coming together to do. And what is the key to that? You remember he prayed that we'd be one through the Word. Right, so we've got the word over here, and I'm over here, and I'm not as close to you as I ought to be, maybe, and you're over here, and you're not as close to me and others you ought to be. If, if you'll move towards the word, and I'll move towards the word, we get closer to the word, but we also get closer to each other. The closer we are, the more powerful we are, the more uh, strength we have, the more ability we have to watch out for each other and to, to resist the devil. I've used this illustration a jillion times. Thankfully, we got a lot of new members who haven't maybe heard some of these. But you know what these zebras do? You've seen this on these wildlife channels? When zebras are attacked by, by lions, it's pretty interesting. The more intelligent brand of zebra, what they will do, they will all, instead of just running for it, they will come together, put their noses together in a circle and like a, a form of a, a bunch of hooves kicking out to protect all of them from the lion, right? But if one of those, if one of those zebras gets antsy and makes a break for it, then, then, then he becomes lunch. I mean, that's what happens. It's kind of like bananas. The banana that leaves the bunch always gets skinned. And so God has designed us. Don't want to insult you. We're not bananas. We're not zebras. But God has designed us as a body to stick together. You know, if we sever the hand from the body and send it out over there, that hand's not going to do so well. And the body that was left is also going to be rather severely injured. We need each other. 1 Corinthians 12 emphasizes that. In many other passages, we need each other just like one snowflake needs another snowflake. And one other thing that occurs to me, I think about us and snow. Uh, snow is not here, at least not in our part of the world. It's not here for very long, is it? Now, it's pretty cool because, literally pretty cool, because on Tuesday it's going to be cold. So if we get snow tomorrow, it's going to stay around at least for a day or two, which means no more school on Tuesday either, right? No more work for a lot of folks. But eventually, every snowflake melts. And how do we relate to that? Eventually, every person melts. In fact, we're in the process of melting now, aren't we? You know, James tells us our life is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So what do we do? We're, we're not like snowmen. We're God's men. We're God's women. But eventually, like that snowman's going to melt and not be here one day, we're not going to be here one day. We're going to be here, hopefully, in our influence that lives on. Remember, remember Revelation 14, verse 13? Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Talks about how they get to rest from their labors, but their works follow after them. So even though we're melting, even though we're moving on, our works, the, the good that we've done remains behind. It kind of like speaks to people about what they can do. 
what, what they should do to kind of build on the legacy that hopefully we're leaving for those who, who follow after us. That's one of the awesome things about people like William Richards and Elizabeth Foster because they've, they've, uh, they've built fires that we're warming by now. They, they've dug wells that we're drinking from and we're enjoying so many blessings because they've lived with us and, and in us and among us. And, and even though they've gone on to a much better place and we're looking forward to seeing them, they've made life so much better for us now that are remaining here. Their example, their faith, their love encourages, encourages, and encourages us. All right. One other passage I want to, to look at. We've got, we got, Eli, how's the weather out there? We're doing all right? Eli gave me the, the thumbs up. Have you seen this passage lately? This is going to just be such a blessing to you. Notice this one with me. It's a blessing to me also. This is 2 Samuel 23, verse 20. Have you seen this one lately? Benaniah was a son of Jehoda the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel who had done many deeds. Now, what's he done? He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. I don't know what those creatures were, but they sound fierce, and he whipped them. Ben and I did. But here's why I'm looking at this passage with us. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Do you see all that? That's rich. All the treasures to pull out of that passage. You know, anytime you fight a lion, that's a, that's a scary prospect. That's a dangerous thing that requires great courage, doesn't it? Well, you're going to fight a lion, you're probably not going to be victorious in that battle. Especially when you got the odds against you that he had against him. Ben and I is fighting him in a pit. I mean, you don't want to be in a small, confined place with a fierce lion. It's also likely a dark pit. <coughs> you want to be able to see the threat, it seems to me. So he's in a hole with this creature. It's dark, and there's snow, which tells us it might be slippery, and you don't have stable footing, and that's kind of hard to battle a lion in those conditions. What else is associated with snow? Cold. When our hands are cold, they don't have the dexterity. We can't move around quite as much. And so he, he's got all these issues against him. He's cold. He's on a slippery surface. He's in a dark place. He's in a confined place. And, and so here's the way I picture it in my mind. You got two sets of footprints going down into that pit. You got a lion going in. You got a man going in. And there's a ferocious battle in that hole. And one set of footprints comes out. And if we're betting people, and we're not that foolish to be betting people, but if we were, most of us would bet that the, that the footsteps footprints exiting the hole would belong to the lion rather than the man. Surprise, surprise, the man is victorious. Why is that in the Bible? It's not just to help us be impressed with Benaniah, as we are, but also to teach us that, that great victories can be won if we have the, the courage of a man like Benaniah. And, and you think about lions. We have lions to fight today. We have a devil. In fact, that's the way Peter expresses him, describes him. 
a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's not just wanting to nibble, but to, to consume us. So he tells us to be sober, to be vigilant in this war, this battle with, with, with a lion. And um, it takes courage to be a Christian today. Have you considered going on Facebook and posting God's definition of marriage? A man and a wife for life? Isn't it remarkable that today it takes courage to do that? Have you gone into your workplace and, and worn a shirt that says, I am pro-life? Have you made that kind of comment or made that kind of post out in social media world? That it, it takes courage now to say that I am for babies, for the health of babies, both born and unborn? Yeah. Try telling somebody in a public way in order to be saved and keep your opinion out of it. Just quote Acts 2.38. Oh, you're so narrow-minded. Oh, I can't believe you don't, you don't trust in the grace of God. And all you do is quote Scripture. And, and it, take, it, it, it takes some courage now just to go into the arena, into the pit called planet Earth, and, and to say what God is saying about things like marriage and little babies and what one needs to do to be saved. And, and because of the onslaught that we might receive, if we just say what the Bible says, it, it does what to us? It, it makes us maybe just a little bit hesitant to say what we're supposed to say. Ben and I live with courage, and, and so should we. There are, there are foes. There are obstacles there are challenges, and we can't be defined by our fear of those, but by our faith that God will help us to be victorious in whatever battles we need to fight. You know, even as parents, it takes courage to say no to a child because we want to be their best friend. What parent wants to be that mean parent, that unpopular parent? You know, we want to be buddies, but... I'm thinking of a passage like Genesis 18, 19, talking about Abraham, what a great parent he was. For I know him, the text says, that he will command his children and his household after him, which, which tells him that shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice. That tells me that in his case, and hopefully by extension our case, good parenting is not for sissies, right? It's for people who love their children enough to give them boundaries, to say, this is how we're going to live our life. This is how we're going to worship. This is how we're going to treat each other. Benaniah, he is a remarkable man. He whips a lion in a dark pit on a snowy day. If he can do that, the same God is blessing us, empowering us, equipping us. I don't know what Goliath we have to fight, but I know that anytime there's a Goliath out there that, that needed needed overcoming or that needs to be overcome in the future, God raises up a David, and he gives David the slingshot. He gives David the, the stones. He gives David the courage, and we get to be David. There are challenges, 
But thankfully, we have a God that is bigger than the challenges we face. So tomorrow, when the snow starts coming down, and I hope it does, think about some of these passages. Think about some of these lessons. And there are a host of other passages I haven't referenced. There are a host of other lessons we learn from the snow. Muse this as a teachable moment for your children and your grandchildren. Uh, would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity on a, on a rather inclement, inclement evening to come together, to, to worship you, to be with special people, and to think about the, the blessings that, that we have even from the, the snow that falls. We're thankful, God, that we can learn really some powerful lessons from this brave man, Benaniah, who, who fought and killed a lion on a snowy day in a deep, dark, scary pit. Help us to understand that we have a lion that we need to be fighting. Help us to understand that uh, we don't need to wait for better conditions, for maybe our marriage to, be get, to become stronger, or us to get more confident, or us to have things more settled in our lives, but help us to understand that we need to wage war now against these forces that can destroy us, can destroy our homes. Understand we delay our opponent, our devil out there can become more stronger, uh, more destructive, more confident of his ability to, to overcome us. Help us to understand it takes courage to be a Christian to oppose evolution, to oppose the killing of babies, to oppose the redefining of marriage. Help us to understand it takes courage to provide our children with boundaries, it takes courage to give sacrificially, it takes courage to ask somebody to come and see Jesus with us. So often it takes courage to act now, to speak up now. Help us to be emboldened by the Benanias of our Bible, the Davids of our Bible, to, to act decisively with you, with us, knowing that we will be victorious. Help us to know that we, as your children, have opportunities every day to, to win great victories. And may our faith always be greater than our fear. And may we be blind to whatever obstacles lie between us and triumphant living. Forgive us of our fears as you increase, please, our faith. Father, if we need to seek the forgiveness of family tonight, of friends tonight, if we need to seek your forgiveness tonight, help us to do this. If we need to have our sins washed in the blood of Christ so we can be white as snow, even whiter than snow in your eyes, we pray that will happen. We love you, Father. Help our love to increase. Thank you for loving us. Help our appreciation for your love for us to increase. In Jesus we pray. Amen.